Welcome to Courageous Wellness. My name is Erica Stein. And I'm Allie French. And this is a podcast about individual journeys toward wellness and how to navigate it all. After Allie experienced a cancer diagnosis in her 20s, and Erica went through a sustained 50-pound weight loss and self-love journey, we created a platform to interview real people from all walks of life that have combined all types of practices. From physical wellness to emotional and spiritual, we hear courageous stories and focus on why it's important to share them. We are both certified integrative nutrition health coaches, and together with our community, we are learning to live our most courageous lives by sharing one courageous story at a time. It takes courage to share these journeys, and by talking about them, we aim to destigmatize the process. We want you to be your own health advocate, feel educated and informed on the latest in health and wellness, and empower you to feel your absolute best. Join us as we in our community share our courageous wellness. Today on the show, we welcome the lovely and dynamic creator of the popular fashion blog, The Fashion Lotus, Dinelli Concepcion. The Fashion Lotus combines fashion with sustainability and wellness, and Janelli strives to empower women to look and feel beautiful regardless of financial circumstances, body, age, or career path. In addition to running The Fashion Lotus, Janelli is also the executive editor at Style Lush TV and the VP of the Texas Fashion Industry Initiative. While we do discuss sustainable fashion with Janelli, this episode focuses on a much more personal story of Janelli's where she courageously shares with us her recent experience with pregnancy, miscarriage, loss, and the healing process. We really appreciate Janelli for so openly sharing her experience with the hope that more women who experience miscarriage will feel less alone in the process. We learn that the percentage of pregnancies that end in miscarriage is considered to be 10 to 15%, if not higher. We loved having this conversation with her and are very grateful to Janelli for her openness and vulnerability. Enjoy the episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Ned. Ned produces the highest quality full spectrum CBD from organic hemp plants sourced entirely from an independent farm in Colorado. Erica and I discovered Ned when co-founder Adrian Zimmerman was a guest on our show. We were both really impressed with the products after trying them. One of the things that really stood out to both of us was the transparency of the brand. Ned actually shares third-party lab results, who their farmers are, and details of the extraction process directly with their consumers. We strive to be informed consumers, and Ned makes the process really accessible. I have become a dedicated user of Ned products and have been able to replace my monthly use of ibuprofen to manage period discomfort with Ned's natural cycles collection of salves, tinctures, and roll-ons. This collection is slow crafted with love from an extraordinary group of women and provides a more holistic anti-inflammatory and natural pain relief option. So Erica, what's your favorite? My favorite Ned product is definitely their full spectrum hemp oil and I personally use the 750 milligram tincture. When I consistently take it, I notice a huge difference in my anxiety, sleep, and general mood. In addition to the tincture, I also really love applying the hemp-infused body butter to my neck and shoulders before bed. It helps me relax, soothes aches and pains, and allows me to wind down at the end of the day. 
Ned is also now offering an immunity blend tincture that we are consistently taking. This blend naturally supports our immune system and combines botanicals, herbs, and fungi to offer functional immune support. 100% of profits are also donated to Eco Health Alliance to support their fight against pandemics and promotion of conservation. If you want to check out Ned and try their products and their CBD for yourself, we have a special offer for the Courageous Wellness audience. Go to www.helloned.com slash podcast. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D.com slash podcast to get 15% off your first order plus free shipping. Thank you, Ned. We know you're going to love it. You can also find the direct link in our show notes and check out all of their wellness products. We have an exciting new discount for our listeners with Four Sigmatic. Four Sigmatic offers superfood coffee and elixirs to upgrade your daily routine. The powerful antioxidants, antiviral effects, and immune-boosting properties of mushrooms transform your cup of joe from an energy-boosting treat to a health-enhancing choice. Along with mushroom coffee, Four Sigmatic also offers mushroom elixirs, mushroom hot cocos, and other shroom-filled products. Erica uses the lion's mane in her morning superfood coffee, and even though I hate mushrooms, I absolutely love the products, especially the matcha latte powder, which contains myataki mushrooms and adaptogens. For 10% off Four Sigmatic products, visit foursigmatic.com and use the code COURAGEOUS at checkout, and there's also a direct link in our show notes. So welcome, Janelle. Thank you so much for being here today. To get started, can you share with us a little bit about your personal journey? Well, my personal journey, I'm 38 years old, so there's a lot (laughs) in this journey. But um, a brief, I guess, background on me. I um, am of Dominican descent. My parents are from the Dominican Republic. They're immigrants to the United States when they were in their teens. And I was um, born in, the, in New York. I'm a Brooklyn girl. And when I was about, I guess, nine or 10, I moved to Puerto Rico. So we went backwards. Most people go from like the islands or from other countries to the US. We went kind of the other way around. So I was pretty much raised in Puerto Rico. I'm fluent in Spanish and English. And um, living in Puerto Rico, I think uh, it just really formed who I am today and everything that we're probably going to talk about today has a lot of reference to my upbringing on an island and so that's like that part of my life I guess and um, I've moved to San Antonio Texas eight years ago now exactly eight years ago oh my gosh this is my eight-year anniversary (laughs) wow yes that's so funny Um, so yeah I've been living in, in Texas for a while and that was a pretty big culture shock for me (laughs) being a New Yorker, big city girl, moving to an Island and then moving to Texas. Um, what I do basically, I, um, I work for a big, huge multinational corporation in technology and communications. And I've been working with this company for 15 years now. I just had my 15 year anniversary and I have a lot of creative Uh, opportunities with my job and I've traveled the world and it's been such a wonderful um, experience and it's pretty much forged all of the things that I do and talk about now with all of those worldly experiences. Um, What else can I talk about myself? I'm married. I have a dog. (laughs) 
but I also work on the side. I'm a blogger and a content creator. I love, you know, talking about fashion, sustainability, clean beauty. And then I also have another side gig as an executive editor for an online fashion publication called Style Lush TV. So I do a little bit of everything. <laughs> yeah, you're a, you're a lady with many talents. We have you here today. Um, we want to talk a little bit about a personal experience that you've had recently. Um, and we also want to talk about you know, your expertise in this, in some of your, like what you define as your side, your side jobs, but you have a strong presence, um, with your fashion Lotus, uh, Instagram and blog. And, um, so we want to dive into a couple of different things with you today, but to start out, can we talk a little bit about a personal journey, um, in your own sort of wellness health journey recently um that you shared with your with your audience and your community absolutely so i recently shared uh something on my youtube channel and i really didn't want to share it at first it was such a traumatic experience that i was thinking i don't want to talk about this but then i think when i started healing and in that process i made the decision that talking about it was going to be very therapeutic so long story short or any version of the story <laughs> basically my husband and i had been trying to conceive for two years now literally in september of 2018 we started um trying to conceive and i didn't really think that it was going to be difficult because i hadn't been on any birth control for Ever. I think I had birth control maybe 10 years ago and I had a weird reaction to it. And because there's a history of cancer um, in, in my family, so I just kind of didn't want to do the birth control. So, you know, we did other methods for birth control, but we, I thought that I didn't have like a possible difficulty in conceiving. I thought, bam, it's going to, you know, it's going to be easy. So six months into it, I was a little concerned and I had my appointment with my OBGYN and she told me that I had a polyp. So that it would be difficult to conceive, but not impossible with the polyp. Six more months went by and nothing. So by that year, it was June, 2019. She told me that, um, that it was probably because of the polyp and then we should probably think of removing it. So I said, you know what, let's do it. It's not, it's not going to be a super invasive. There's no cuts or anything to remove it. It was intrauterine. So I could, you know, go under and get it removed. So when she went in, she actually found six polyps. So a polyp isn't really a dangerous growth. It in, in itself is not cancerous or precancerous, but it could potentially turn into something. But um, the biggest thing is that it's in the way. So anything that wants to form in there, it was going to be difficult. So removing it was supposed to clean up the whole uterus and make it very optimal for conceiving. So that was June, 2019. She said, give it about six months. If by the end of the year, nothing's going on, then let's look at alternative, which I am totally open to. So January came and went and I was like, you know, let's keep trying. I'm going to give it a couple more months just in case. And then COVID hit. <laughs> 
like time totally flew in this process. So as soon as the lockdowns started in March, um, my husband was told to stay home. So for about a month and a half, he was going to stay home until they figured out what were they going to do. So I was like, all right, cool. At that point, I was really thinking, you know, I don't want to get pregnant right now because I don't want to be going to hospitals. I don't want to be going to appointments. I don't know what the scope of the whole, you know, um, pandemic is going to look like for someone who, who is high risk because, you know, your defenses get lower because you're feeding another being, another creature. So, you know, it was important for me to really take a step back and think about what I really wanted to do. And boom, two weeks later, I get pregnant. <laughs> Literally two weeks into the closures, I got pregnant. So, um, so that process was really interesting. I actually was more terrified than happy that the moment that I found out, it was like, ah, this is what's going to happen. Now I have to be going to all the hospital appointments and all the, the doctor's appointments. I didn't want to go. So um, I went to my OBGYN to confirm she was super happy. It turns out she's from Puerto Rico too. And she and I get along super, super well. So we, we couldn't hug because it was already, you know, everyone was already masking and a lot of social distance measures were in place. So she just gave me all of the information. She told me everything was perfect. My blood levels were great. Um, I was healthy. I didn't have any, any issues that she could see right off the bat. And so she scheduled my sonogram for two weeks after that. By that time, I would be at six weeks. So when I took that first sonogram, she didn't find a heartbeat. And also there was no um, blood flow to the uterus. That's what grants it the heartbeat. But she she thought maybe we could be off by a week because the moment that they tell you that you're pregnant, they measure it from the date of your last period. But I know the day that it was conceived because I was taking my temperature and I was doing the strips and I was really tracking my ovulation. So I know the exact day that I got pregnant. And so I said, no, you guys are off by a week. I know that this is five weeks and not six weeks. And she said, fine, let's wait another two weeks. And so, but she did say that she didn't see it working. And so she was really honest. I told a couple of my friends and they were like, she's so blonde. And I'm like, you know what? I actually appreciate it because there is an expectation. And there's also something for me to pray for, you know, and we're all, you and all three of us were part of the same organization. So I chanted for two full weeks, hours a day, because I, I wanted this to be a happy, healthy, full term pregnancy. And so, but there was like a little thing on the pit of my like stomach because I didn't feel any more changes in my body within those two weeks. So there was some tenderness here and there. There was sleepiness, but I never felt the nausea. I never felt other symptoms that you were supposed to have at X amount of weeks. So I did have like a little sinking feeling. So when I got that second sonogram, the, 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 the technician, she, she took one minute. She, I don't think she even took one minute. It, the size of the embryo had not changed. The, I, the image looked the exact same. There was no blood flow. And by then you would even hear, because it is a sonogram, you would even hear a heartbeat and there was nothing. So she didn't say a word. She said, I'm going to go get the doctor real quick. And I knew what it was. So in those like maybe five minutes, because it was the longest five minutes in the world, I chanted my little heart out. So I chanted not for the results to be different from what I knew what it was going to be, but mostly for the strength to accept 
what was going to happen, like what the news was going to be. So the doctor came in the room and at that moment I, I knew, but I didn't want to speak and she didn't really want to speak. It seems like either. So she just gave me a certain look and I was like, okay, well what's next? Um, but it was hard because she wanted to hug me cause we we're cool like that. And that I think was what made me break down the most. But yeah, then I had just asked her what the next steps were, what this means. But as soon as she started explaining, I kind of went deaf. It was weird. It was such a weird reaction. Um, and I was like, I'm going to need you to put this in writing or something. or I'm going to have to call back later because I just can't really explain what is going on with my body right now. I was like in a shock. But um, basically what was going on, it is a missed miscarriage. So the, the, the embryo stopped forming. And I honestly have to say that I am fortunate that there was no heartbeat ever because I think that would have been more difficult to assimilate um, because there was more of a connection, I feel. But because of that, I think it was easier for me to, to heal. And we can talk about that later. But a missed miscarriage is the, the embryo stops forming and at some point your body is going to... Um, is going to expulse it, but I chose to do it with um, medication so that it could happen quicker. So it is essentially like an abortion um, at home, you know, with the proper care and everything that it goes involved with it. But I didn't want to do the DNC procedure because it is more traumatic on the womb. And so I wanted to heal as quick as possible. So I decided to do it at home, which was difficult and very painful in if either of you have had the worst period of your life or children multiply the worst period of your life times 10 or maybe 20 it is the worst cramps in the world and of course you know add to that the emotional toll right so that was my experience it was it was pretty intense but yeah here we are today talking about miscarriages yeah well i think what really First of all, thank you for sharing that with us and with our listeners. I think it takes a lot of courage to do that. And what really stood out to us when you shared your story on your YouTube too, is that you were saying like, after you had this experience, your community and support system started to come out and, and share with you that like how common of an experience this can be for women and that it's not spoken about as much. Like there's still sort of, um, you know, people close in our lives, in your life, whomever have, it's very common, but it's not commonly communicated yeah, out. There's still, about. I think there's still a stigma, right. To miscarrying, um, in women for, for some reason. Right. And yeah. Yeah. I think there's a lot behind it. And I've asked my friends who have gone through it, some I already knew uh, because they shared that with me before mine because I'm so close to them and they told me, hey, Janelle, this is what's going on. And so, you know, I was just there for them as a friend and I'm like, oh my gosh, I couldn't imagine. And now I can because I've gone through it as well. But I think what shocked me the most is finding out about certain people that, I, of course, you know, this is a very public forum, so I really won't want to out them today. But certain people that are very close to me in my life that they had one and they never told anyone. And I'm thinking, why would you do this? Like, but I'm trying to like make, make sense of that because 
you know, going back a little bit, when I found out that I was pregnant at four or five weeks, my husband didn't want me to tell anyone. And so he's more of the quote unquote realist. But I used to say, and up until recently, like he was just being negative, right? But no, I'm like, he was being realistic in the sense of if anything were to happen, he just really wanted to protect me from mm. the emotional part of having to tell people. Uh, if I told 10 people, then I would have to call each one by one by one to tell them about this. And every time I'd have to tell the story, it, it would be, you know, really difficult for me. Right. So I understand that part that talking about it is, it can be painful. But for me, when I spoke to my best friends about it, and heard their stories and their sister's stories and their mother's stories, I was in shock. And I'm like, but how is this so, so common? Yet I felt so unprepared because no one talks about it. Yeah, right. So I felt like I had this opportunity to share it with other people and help them not feel so alone. Even if they didn't share back and tell me their stories, I knew that in their hearts, they were like, you know what? I'm not the only one. And in fact, it, it's so, so common. If you look up in different sources, it says, well, my doctor told me that 10% of pregnancies can end in miscarriage. And if you look it up, it could be within 15 to 25% recognizes miscarriage. And as many as 50% of pregnancies can end in miscarriage. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, <laughs> yeah. this even like not talked about and people are so unprepared for it. Right. So I thought maybe I could share somebody and give somebody something, a little bit of commiserate, like I guess, to commiserate with them and just at least let them know that they're not alone and that they don't have to go through it alone. Right. Yeah. So that's why I shared. Well, thank you. And I think that connection is what really helps people ultimately to understand that like you aren't, you don't need to feel isolated in your experiences, especially in your most painful experiences. And this is something that we like really sort of explore on the show a lot, which is common themes, regardless of what it might be, regardless of what the content of someone's story is that like in just the act of sharing their story, even if it's only one person that whose life is moved by it, that's one additional person whose life is changed and moved by it. And that's the that's the importance and I think the power of sharing these sort of vulnerable stories. Yeah. yeah. To not feel alone. Right. Cause I think that makes suffering and pain so much worse when you're like, I'm the only one who experienced this. And as you're saying, that's not the case. And I'm so interested too. um, you know, you had mentioned, right. Like this is all happening during this year of COVID. Right. And like you said, you got this news and your husband wasn't in the room. I'm just so curious because I'm sure there are so many people right now who have sick loved ones, are going through medical experiences, are pregnant, are also suffering miscarriages. And this year does put a different, I feel like, level on it. Can you share like that experience for you? Like what was it like being there without your husband? And, and do you think that I don't know if would have changed anything, but I just, I think if anybody else is listening, who's experiencing medical situations right now, is there anything that you took from that or would, would like to share about that as well? Yeah, I think it added on to the painful experience. Um, 
But at the same time, I don't think that I would have been able to chant as hard as I did if he was in the room. <laughs> I don't know why I get emotional with that part. <laughs> um, I felt like after it all happened and it went down, I went into the car and he was there. And I felt like I could do all I had to do and get it all out in that small room with the nurse and the doctor. And then when I was in the car, I didn't break down as hard as I probably would have if he was present. I feel like sometimes when we have people present, and this isn't just me, I don't know. But even though you're sharing a, a moment of pain, I feel like I would have made a bigger scene if you were there. You know what I mean? It was, it, was, it, it was a weird experience for me because I have a very strong faith. I think I needed that moment to be alone. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's interesting. I mean, Erica and I talk about our practice quite a bit on the show just because it's such a part of our, our our lives and our wellness and what that means. But it's interesting that you were talking about chanting for strength and having the ability, gosh, it just makes me so grateful to have a practice like ours because having the ability to like something to fundamentally truly rely on in the toughest moments of life, but to know also your own strength in that moment too. Um, is like a really powerful sort of like realization or like learning moment. I, I'm always sort of fascinated by like learning about myself and like what I'm capable of through the type of practice that we do. And I was just wondering, because you shared earlier about, you know, chanting for like the best healthiest baby outcome. And, and that was something that wasn't the outcome of this experience. Looking back on it now through this healing process, do you have, do you feel like you have perspective yet on what you actually have gained from this experience of loss? I have. Um, when I chanted for a perfect, healthy, happy, full-term pregnancy. And by the way, that those exact words are on my little card on my, (laughs) on my altar. Um, when I chanted for that and the universe or my body or science or however you want to say it did not grant me that my body made the decision for me that this was not the pregnancy that was going to be this happy full-term healthy pregnancy. Mm. You know what I mean? So, um, other people might see it as, oh, well you pray for what you wanted and you didn't get it, then it doesn't work. But I've been practicing for almost 20 years now. So I don't really see things that way anymore. Um, I used to when I was way young, but now I see things as this was not it. Mm -hmm. And so this was a protection as we say. So, um, the body is a, is completely self functioning (laughs) machine and it knows what it's doing. So if this wasn't going to come out perfect, and of course, remember that the mind is very powerful as well. So my mind was saying, I am going to have a perfect, healthy, happy pregnancy. And this was not it. So onto the next basically is what it is. Yeah. I love that perspective. You also shared, right, to like how 
when you first got pregnant, right? Your, your husband was like, let's protect ourselves and, and not share. And I'm sure a lot of people who get pregnant or who have struggled to get pregnant, um, they feel that way. What would you say now, right? Like having this experience, if you were to get, when you get pregnant again, I should say, will you do anything differently? Like, will you share that? And did the sharing kind of help through the grief process as well? Well, there's a very important thing here because of this factor of not wanting to feel alone. Um, I made that decision to share it with my my family and my best, best friends, maybe like five people outside of my close and immediate family. Um, and not publicly, of course, but my husband didn't even want to do that. He didn't want to tell his own mother and father and, and, and brother. So it's like, why wouldn't you want to share such happy news? Right. But then I also, he explained it to me. It's like, what if something were to happen? Realistically speaking, like what if something were to happen, then you have to like share the bad news. And I hate sharing bad news. And I'm like, well, I mean, (laughs) there's going to be bad news of anything regardless, but I want to share this. But I also thought the importance of what if something were to happen, who am I going to turn to just you and me? I think I need something more than that. I need a support system. So it was important to me to share it with those who I knew were going to support me no matter what. So my three sisters in faith, my mother, my father, siblings, and two of my coworkers that are there with me through really, really tough times and really beautiful times as well. So I decided to, to make that circle, even though if it was a small circle, I needed it. And so it helped me because those are the people who sent me flowers, uh, wrote me beautiful messages, would call me just to see how I was doing and I would cry for an hour. And so those are the people that I needed because if I were to just rely on me and my husband, I probably would have either held back um, because I didn't want him to see me suffering, if that makes sense. Like I didn't want him to feel worse, Mm -hmm. but... I just kind of needed to dump it on somebody and those people were there for me. And so that was, that was important for me. Yeah. I like that too. And I think, you know, I've always been told that too, is like, Oh, don't say anything for the first trimester. Like there's just all these sort of like assumptions that like, Oh, it's just cause that's the way it's done. And I was thinking about it though, like in the act of sharing it with your closest people, right? It's not a public announcement, but like with your closest support system in good times and in difficult times, you also are in a way kind of acknowledging that people, these people in your life are also capable of handling difficulties as well as successes, that people aren't just around to be there for the successes. Obviously, like the communities that we cultivate, we want to share in successes, but we also want to share and be there in times of difficulty too and know and trust that they're capable of handling that and showing up in those moments. I'm I'm curious too, because, you know, of course, and I'm sure you know this as well, I have so many friends and close people in my life who, um, one person in particular I'm thinking about has two amazing children and had miscarriages before each of them. Um, so what is next? Like what, how do you feel now that you've had this experience, you're sharing it? Do you feel nervous about getting back 
into the process of trying to get pregnant again? Are you ready to do that? Like, how are you feeling mind, body, and spirit with pregnancy, especially because that's something, right, you want to have? So when I asked my doctor, how soon can I start trying? And she said two months. I was like, that's too soon. Like, I don't know how I can, you know, get over this physical and emotional trauma in just two months. And effectively, it was too soon. Um, Two months came and I told my husband, I'm not ready. So um, last month was a third month. And I, can I say this? I felt like a virgin. (laughs) (laughs) I was so scared. I was, and not just for the physical, which by the way, it, I don't know. Uh, I did feel like a version physically as well, but emotionally, you know, I was like, I'm scared. What if I get pregnant? What if I do? What if I lose it? I mean, all of these what if questions came, came up and a lot of anxiety. So that was last mm-hmm. month in August, September. So you guys caught me in an ovulation cycle. Wink, wink. <laughs> um, I felt really confident. I felt really good. And um, I am ready. And the thing is, I, I just hear so many stories from other women. And once I shared on my YouTube and on my other social media platforms, people started commenting in private and in public. I love the public ones. I found them so brave for doing that. And the ones in private, I found them so brave for even talking to me, you know, and people that never met me before were talking to me. And a lot of them told me beautiful success stories. I think really the majority told me their success stories. And I was just really hopeful whenever I heard those stories. And then I heard a couple of not so successful stories. Today I went to the dentist and I told my, um, my tech, she asked me if there's been any changes and why I hadn't done a certain procedure that had me um, going under, I had to remove my, my wisdom teeth. And I said, well, because I was pregnant. She was like, and I said, but I don't have it anymore. She's like, oh. And then she told me that one of the other techs had had 15 miscarriages. Like that is not even conceivable in my brain, like how that is possible. And then she got pregnant with twins and lost one. And now she has one beautiful baby. So 16 basically attempts for one child. And that is a real, true, never give up spirit. That is. So it's still inspiring, but it's still terrifying. Like I hear that story and I'm like, uh, I don't want to go through 15 miscarriages. I'd probably give up after two. I don't know. I am open to other options, but I feel like I want to gravitate more towards the, the success stories instead of the negative ones, but the negative ones are still kind of in the back of my brain. So when I chant now and when I pray for what I want to see for my future, I just really have to envision my life currently as is with a baby. That's yeah. how I have yeah. to do it so that I can kind of get through any hurdle of anxiety that I'm starting to have when we have to start trying again. So mm-hmm. that's, that's how I'm feeling right now. Yeah. It reminds me too, as you're speaking, like, I think for everyone listening, I'm sure many, many, many people listening have experienced this, are experiencing it, or, you know, um, could eventually, right? But whatever your situation is, I feel like that concept, right? Like the what ifs, like what could go wrong or what is, it's like, that is just a part of life. And I, I mean, I struggle with anxiety and it's something that um, can be pretty debilitating. But what's helped too is like, um, 
right? Like staying in the present moment has been so helpful to, because that's all we have, right? And even like, I've mentioned this on the podcast before, I think in a solo episode, but um, someone through, um, that I know through my Buddhist practice really shared with me, right? Like um, anxiety and fear really come from worrying about either you're worrying about the future, what hasn't happened yet, or you're living in the past, which is already over, but what is the future determined by, right? The future is determined by the present moment and the causes and actions we take in the present moment. And so that's really difficult and that's not easy, but it's like all you have is today, right? All you have is this moment. And I think it's, it's good practice for anybody to be like, no matter what your situation, there's so many different scenarios. And actually my therapist also told me because I have a tendency of going to the worst case scenario for like everything. And, um, but she really helped me because I don't do that anymore because a couple years ago when I started therapy, she said to me, she goes, if you're going to let yourself go to the worst case scenario, you have to immediately tell yourself what's the best case scenario. And that has changed so much in my life. Cause when I find my mind going to those places, I'm like, but what are all the other scenarios, Erica? Right. So, um, but that's so inspiring and, you know, just thank you again so much for sharing this really personal journey and personal experience that again, so many women go through alone and you're, you're helping all of us not feel alone. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you guys for letting me share my story. It is, it is, we, we mentioned this before. It is kind of a taboo, but I think it's also, there's a shame behind it. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, I'm not woman enough or, mm-hmm. oh, I'm not, you know, meant to be a mother or whatever the case may be. And that is not the case, you know, it's not just, at all. No, we have to get rid of that stigma. We have to get rid of that shame and, and keep going. And if this is what you want in your life, and if your family is what you want in, in, in your, in your presence, then you have to be open to all the options. We will have a family. We will have a baby. Where it's going to come from, if it's my body, if it's somebody else's, if it's adoption, it's, it's, it doesn't matter. If it's yeah. scientific, it doesn't matter. And so being open to that has really changed my perspective on, on getting over the grief that we were talking mm. about. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. It's just, as Erica said, it's just really... Um, I think it's just so helpful for so many people. And um, and you're right. The shame, I have heard people talk about that where like we put that on ourselves, like it's something that we could control and it's not. And I actually heard even this like super healthy, like nutritionist top person when she was going through her fertility stuff and she had multiple miscarriages and then now is having her second beautiful baby. And she was like, I need to like let everybody know that this is a part of life and it, it's nothing you do or don't do. This is sometimes, like you said, like it, it just needs to be the right set of circumstances for this baby yeah. to be able to grow. And, um, and it doesn't mean that your prayer won't be fully answered. And I'm, I'm confident that it will. And we'll have you back on and then Yay. you can talk about it. <laughs> you know, that's something, that's something really curious too. Um, a lot of people that share their miscarriage stories or their infertility stories, not saying everyone, because I have been following a lot of, you know, wellness and health yeah. and bloggers and that are going through it or have like actively gone through it and talked about it while they were going through it. But a lot of people have a tendency to share it once they have their success story. And mm. I made that conscious decision to not do that and not wait because right. 
it's not always going to be a quote unquote success story for everyone. Right. It, you may not be able to conceive naturally. So why, why am I going to give people this, I guess, false sense of hope? And I don't want to be mean about it, but it's like, what if, right? And so right. I don't want to be yeah. um, this person that that gives this image that everything is going to be fine and dandy. Right. Yeah. It's, it's like presenting the reality while also holding on to like hope yeah. at the same time. Well, and those and, things can coexist and they yeah. need to coexist. And, and I was going to say, I think it's so much more inspiring to be a part of the journey, right? Because that's why we feel alone. We feel alone because we hear about it after the fact and after the success right. story. But anybody who's in it, their mind is going through a million different emotions. And so to hear from somebody who is in it, I feel like is so, it's just so encouraging. So yeah. just, you know, thank you again. And, you know, sharp left as we transition, but there's, so, sharp left. but there's so much more to your journey and your story as well, right? Because you do run the Fashion Lotus where you did share um, on your YouTube channel, your personal experience. And so I'd love to maybe if we can talk a little bit about kind of your mission with the Fashion Lotus and sustainability and everything that you're doing on that end of your life as well. Yes, of course. So I started the Fashion Lotus in 2012 or 13. I have to go back and look how far it goes. But I started it as an outlet to express myself with, you know, my passion or love for fashion. And I had just moved to a new city with one person. And we both didn't know anything about this place and didn't have any friends. And so it was like a fun thing to do to take pictures of uh, our beautiful new surroundings and all of that. But I always, always, always wanted to take this platform into a a way to to spread the message of sustainability and and protecting the planet and, cons and conservation my i have a background in natural resource management and conservation mm -hmm. um and so it's always been something that that i i thought how can i mix things that i love into one thing <laughs> and at that time nobody talked about fashion and sustainability as a, a as a coexisting concept it wasn't even no, I mean, what does one thing have to do with the other back then, of course? Today, we know, of course, that fashion is the second highest, most polluting industry in the planet. Mm -hmm. And so many different factors go into that. And we can talk about that <laughs> some other time. But my mission really has been to, to show that you can have fashion and sustainable lifestyle in one. Mm. And so looking for eco-friendly and economic because sometimes it's not very um accessible so i'm 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 trying to show accessibility with sustainability in the fashion industry and so i want to really promote companies that promote that and that stand for those values and even whenever i i decided what is my mission in life i don't know if you guys have ever had that thought like hmm, what is my mission in life um, my mission really is to protect the planet. So how can I do that with the world that we live in and the lifestyles that we have? Mm -hmm. So that's what I decided to take the fashion Lotus. Notice that the word Lotus is in it. 
it's very much for a reason. <laughs> um, you all know, and if you practice or heard of anything that has to do with Buddhism, the lotus flower is a symbolic flower of Buddhism because of several reasons. One, the simultaneity of cause and effect. Um, the it's the only flower that that seeds and blooms at the same time, and it's also that famous saying, no mud, no lotus. So you have to go through some kind of obstacles in order to bloom into your, you know, your best self, if you will. So when I started that concept with fashion lotus, it was most like being your best self, no matter where you come from, what your circumstances, what your circumstances are, what um, social status you may have, economic, physical, everything, you can and you are beautiful. So that's where I really came up with that concept and that name. But also now that I'm like more evolved in my mission for sustainability, it is it has an even more and deeper significance. Like what causes am I doing today for my future generations? And so it's very important for me to promote that message of sustainability and using all of our efforts towards protecting our future generations. Yeah, that's all, all of that. Amazing. We need that. <laughs> we need it. Is as that also, I'm curious too, because are you, you're plant-based as well? So are I'm you mostly plant-based, mm-hmm. mostly. So I'll occasionally have uh, fish or seafood because island life is hard. When you're away from the islands, you're like, oh. So event, like eventually I would like to be full vegan, but I'm the kind of person that doesn't really in, like, like to have labels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I want to eat to nourish my body. And so I basically I just decided I'm going to have nutritious, delicious functional food that serve me mm-hmm. in every way. Right. And so if I right now want to have, you know, well, I, you know, the thing is that people, <laughs> people indulge a little too much and I have been, you know, pretty, um, pretty, pretty guilty, I guess, of that, of indulging. If I want a brownie, I'm going to eat the whole brownie pot, <laughs> like the whole thing. But, um, I think that, I can have a balance in my life where I eat healthy and now I actually crave healthy food. So that's something that has kind of grown on me, but every once in a while I will have the brownie. I will have the cookie or the ice cream, but I think that I, I've just, I've developed a sense of what serves me. And if this is going to serve me in the pleasure zones of my brain, how much am I going to allow it? And up to what point am I going to indulge where I start feeling bad mm. or sick? So, yeah, that's that's basically my approach on food. Um, I, I decided to go plant-based many years ago because I had probably done like those Atkins and those um, keto type diets before where it's extremely heavy on meat and dairy and mm. my body was sluggish so, so bad. So my husband started looking into plant-based diets and, and he was one who got me into it. And believe it or not, he's so not plant-based. <laughs> but I, since I'm the chef in this house, he has to eat what I give him. So he'll probably indulge in other kinds of foods outside of the house. But here we eat mostly plant-based. Like I'm going to say 90%. That's so cool. And that's like the sustainability. That's why it reminded me of that. Cause I know 
that's so good for our planet as well. Yes. I mean, if you watch those documentaries, you'll probably, I had a friend that said, if, if, if I watch a documentary, I'll, you'll, I'll watch it eating a steak. And she saw Cowspiracy <laughs> and, and she yeah. called me and said, I can't eat steaks anymore. I said, I mean, it's like in, you need the power of information to, to really Absolutely. understand what's going on. Yeah. So it was Absolutely. funny. Well, that kind of is a good segue into one of the first of one of the three questions that we ask all of our guests as we start to wrap up. So the first one is, um, what does your self-care look like? What is your self-care practice just sort of on a daily basis? And like, what what are your non-negotiables in that? Well, my non-negotiable, I do have to chant every morning. I'm not that good at chanting in the evenings, but every morning chanting, meditating. And when it comes to like my physical um, self-care routine, I have to always wash my face with my, you know, beautiful cleansers. All of my, my products are um, cruelty-free, vegan, natural, non-chemical products, because like, I think we mentioned that earlier, whatever goes into your body, also your skin absorbs what is it like 70% mm-hmm. of <laughs> whatever you put on it. So for me, skincare is super important. And I grew up in a Hispanic family. Skincare is like, I don't know if you've ever asked, how is that woman so young looking and she's X age? Well, I mean, it's not just genetics. Let's be honest. There is a very strong skincare routine behind it. And so for me, skincare, I have like a five or six step skincare routine. And on the weekends, I have to do my, um, my hair care. So I do treatments that sit in my hair for two hours or more and masks. And I have like this whole routine that I'm just like watching TV while I'm doing it. But I think rest is super important for me. So on the weekends, it, it's very important for me to like not make any appointments, any dates, any calls. It's like my me time. So mm-hmm. that's, that's super important to me. I love that. And your, your skin is so glowy over. Thank you. 30 years like, old. <laughs> and, yeah, <over>. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't believe when, when you said that, cause we met like five years ago, actually at a Buddhist conference. And so I was like, how are you 38 years old? Like, oh my gosh, like you, yeah. I'm going to go stalk the Fashion Lotus and find all your skincare (laughs) secrets after this um, and DM you about it. Um, So the next question that we ask all of our guests is, um, do you have a book that has been particularly inspirational to you along your journey? Um, It can be on any topic, uh, but just something that's inspired you. Actually, I found this book, the um, Gabriel Bernstein's The Universe Has Your Back. I so love that. I'm going to be super honest. When I saw like the reviews on the book, I'm like, it's going to be really woo woo. And even though I, I do practice Buddhism and I, and I do like to meditate occasionally, I just, I'm very practical and I'm very scientific. Like it has to make sense. Like this is why I like the whole law of cause and effect because it makes sense. And when I started reading, I, I decided, you know what, the book is, is available. It's not super expensive. And when I started reading the concept, it's so in tune with my, with my philosophy. And I'm like, whoa, this book is amazing. So I have it all marked up and it's like highlighted and I have my notes and it's really, in, and even things that I'm not in um, agreement with, I'll write, yeah, but, <laughs> but it's such a good book. Gabrielle Bernstein is 
is really on it. I, I actually researched her and I, and I wondered if she was Buddhist, but she's not, but it's like. Yeah, I love her though. I've, I've read um, The Universe Has Your Back and it's, I really enjoyed the book. It's crazy how it's like on point. And I think sometimes we pick up books or, or literature or even movies that are in tune with you, or yeah. maybe they were always there, but you didn't notice them because you weren't going through whatever. Mm-hmm. And when I started reading that book, the, I think one of the first lines it says, it's, um, you're picking up this book because this is the moment that you need it. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> so on point. So yeah, I, I loved it. Um, thank you. And then the last question we have for you is, what does it mean to be courageous for you? So many things, but I think, I think it's the moment where you, where you decide that no matter what, you're going to be happy. And so mustering up the courage to accept that, I think that that's, that's really, um, special. Because most of the time, I mean, it's really easy to go into the doom and gloom and say, woe is me, right? And I think that's easy to do. That's, that was, that's my fallback, probably. That's where I feel most not comfortable. It is super uncomfortable. But I think it is more uncomfortable to say, you know what? I am going to be okay. And not just yeah. okay. I'm going to be unshakably happy, no matter what. That for me is courage. so powerful. Thank you so much for sharing today. If anybody listening wants to find you on the internet, where can they find you? Thefashionlotus.com is my blog on Instagram. It's also at the fashion Lotus, everything, everything, everything fashion, the fashion Lotus. (laughs) Amazing. Thank you again for joining us today. You guys have made me cry way too much. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Courageous Wellness. Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode featuring a different guest each week. Subscribe, rate, and write us a nice review. And you can also follow us on Instagram at Courageous Wellness or get in touch via our website, www.courageouswellness.net, where you can also find additional info about our health coaching services, virtual group events, newsletter, and more. Until next week, I'm Allie. And I'm Erica, and we're Courageous Wellness.